everyone. Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Yanneli Joyce and I'm your host for episode 73. In this episode, we are going to be listening to my father-in-law, Brian Joyce. His message is entitled The Glory of God and is tied to the reason for the Christmas season. May God bless. It is good that you have joined today's podcast. I wish you all a joy-filled and God-honoring Christmas season. Thank you for listening as I consider a few verses in Luke chapter 2 relating to the Messiah's first advent. I would like to talk about the glory of God and what happens when it is witnessed and experienced. What does the word advent mean? If you look up this word in the dictionary, it says a few things. First, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Second, the season leading up to Christmas and including the four preceding Sundays. Third, the coming or second coming of Christ. Throughout this month, we have been focusing on God's arrival to our planet. If you were writing the story, it would, be, uh, it would probably be quite different Think of the most notable, high-ranking person in the history of humanity and how you would prepare and present his or her arrival. If, for example, Pope Francis was coming to Toronto, there would be lots of money spent, much advertising done, great crowds assembling. It would be a highly publicized and very well-funded event with no holding back. The storyline of redemption was written by God, and he planned the arrival of his son into our world. It was quite different than what a human mind would produce, but it was pure glory. Let's read together a little section of the story from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. That night, There were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of the sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Here in Luke 2, God's glory was manifested. I have noted four things that will always occur when His glory is revealed. We see them here in Luke's Advent narrative. Number one, the glory of God will always outshine every other glory. Notice the language of verse 9. The glory of the Lord shone around them, or the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. It means to beam, to radiate, to be 
all over, to encompass, to, to fill thoroughly, to surround completely. The glory of the Lord is the majesty and splendor of his presence, and it overtook these lowly shepherds. We need to consider the situation. Because the shepherds were out in the middle of the night guarding their sheep from predators and camping under the open sky. I am surmising that uh, if they were comparing themselves among themselves, as we so often do, they may have been priding themselves in who had the largest flock or who was the best climber or who had the best pastures or uh, whose sheep would sell for more at the market. I don't know what the shepherds argued about exactly, but I'm pretty sure they did. I say that because we all think we are amazing in our own right. We think we are good. Deep down, most think they are better than the other. Deep down, we want to take care of our own interests first. This is why Paul wrote to the Philippian believers when he said, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. The thoughts that lift ourselves in pride and puff ourselves up and promote ourselves stem from our sinful human nature. It is self-glory and, and is in direct opposition to God's glory. One of its many outlets is in this terrible comparison game that seeks to find ways to make others, to make ourselves bigger and better than what we really are. Let me illustrate. Imagine with me when my youngest daughter was five years, uh, five years of age. Without insulting her in any way, there are a few words that could describe me in comparison to her. I am powerful. I am fast. I am strong. I am unstoppable. I am wealthy. Oh, you don't think so? Let's try push-ups, an arm wrestle, pass me a basketball, and I'll dribble it past her every time. Let's compare our bank accounts. While I'm uh, boasting of my credentials, in walks another person, LeBron James, the king of basketball. And at that moment, everything changes when he walks into the room. Now I am looking like my five-year-old daughter. Just go over the list and, and uh, I'm, I'm not powerful and I'm not fast and I'm not strong and I'm not unstoppable and I'm not wealthy in comparison to him. But, but let me ask you this. What happens when the true king, when the king of kings walks into the room, when God appears he is so big, so strong, so awesome that everything else becomes lesser. Remember what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? They were frightened beyond words. Remember what happened to Paul when God's glory shone on him? He fell on his face on the D Damascus road. Or John in Revelation 1 who fell at his feet as dead. Just imagine that dark night on the hills of Bethlehem when the glory of the Lord surrounded these shepherds. The light, the splendor, the magnificence, the wonder, the all-surpassing reality of something bigger, greater, and more grand than anything they had ever experienced. 
At this point, there could be no other glory visible, only God's. It shows us how small we are and puts us in a proper place because the glory of God will always outshine every other glory. Secondly, the glory of God will always expose what is inward. Look at verse 9 again. When the glory of God beams down on these shepherds, their immediate reaction was fear and terror. Being out in the open field at night, they were already witnessing God's glory in one way. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. But this was more than the glory of his creation. This was a special outshining of his majesty, of his very person. The Bible says no man can see God and live. That is to see him in, in the fullness of his glory with our natural uncovered eyes. No wonder then, on this dark night, as God's glory shone forth, their hearts were exposed. His glory penetrates beyond what is uh, a surface and external. Remember when Samuel went to Bethlehem to anoint a new king in Israel and the sons of Jesse stood before him. Eliab, the eldest, was all puffed up in self-assuredness and pride and was sure that he was the man for the job. Even the prophet was shaking his head when God said no. Then God tapped him on the shoulder and said, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When we, are in our, when we were in our sins, his glory revealed how depraved our hearts were. To the Romans, Paul said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory or standard of God. Thankfully, our hearts have been washed clean by the blood of Christ. But even now, after salvation, we are far from perfect, and often our hearts betray us and, if uh, not careful, exhibit sinful behaviors and patterns. It is in His presence that we get to see what we really are on the inside. It is all transparent and open to our God. He sees the hurts, he sees the loneliness, he sees the emptiness, he sees the pride, the, the foolishness. He sees it all. As we are faced with God's word and his glory is manifested through it, it should produce a healthy, wholesome respect and fear of God's greatness. For those of us who know the Lord as our Savior uh, and God as our Father, we do not need to tremble in fright and terrifying fear. He loves us. He cares for us. He is our protector and, and our refuge. And yet he is an awesome God whose greatness is inexhaustible and unmeasurable. To these shepherds, the angel said, Do not be afraid. This is the heart of our God. His glory is not only to reveal our hearts, but to show us His heart. He had good news to share. The best news, the Messiah was born. Which leads me to my third thought. The glory of God will always reveal something 
of his own nature. One meaning of the word glory is the outshining of one's inward nature. At Mount Sinai, God came down and the mountain shook, and as the law was produced, his awesomeness and righteousness was revealed. Isaiah saw him on the throne and heard the fiery heavenly beings proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. I find it interesting that in Luke chapter 2, the glory of God appeared not to the high and mighty, not to the religious leaders of the law up in the temple, not to those who were uh, up before dawn reading their Taurus, or those who uh, washed their hands a dozen times before they ate. The glory of God appeared to the shepherds. Those who in that day were considered the lowest on the economic and moral chain of society. They were envisioned as worthless, untrustworthy thieves. It is incredible that God would make the most important announcement the world has ever heard up to this point in history to these shepherds. All the stereotyping we do is wrong. We categorize and deem certain people more important or valuable by their earthly status. God never does this. He loves us all equally. The appearance of the heavenly messengers to these shepherds was a display of God's grace, both to them and to us. I think of the words of Paul uh, as he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 29. I quote, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were uh, no, uh, of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what, what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring uh, to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God, end quote. The story of uh, Ral Rise is uh, another display of God's grace. I don't have a lot of details, but he was born in 1937 in Mexico City and had a difficult childhood that led him to be violent and angry and abusive towards his family. His family moved to the USA. After serving in the army, his behavior worsened. His wife was fed up and had her bags packed. While she was out, he loaded his rifle with the intention of killing his wife and kids. He destroyed the house and banged the TV with the butt of his gun and a program about Jesus and his love was playing. He raised his gun to shoot the man on the TV but couldn't. He sensed it was God speaking to him, got on his knees and, and right there accepted Christ and his life was transformed. This is, this is the amazing grace of God. Verse 10 in our chapter uh, gives the immediate response of the angels to the shepherds, which is teaching us that while God's glory causes fear, through this little baby boy, God is coming down. God is coming near. God is being one of us. 
and in doing so, providing a way in which fear can be forever banished. Fourthly and lastly, the glory of God will always bring blessing to the believer. The glory of God will always bring blessing to the believer. Let's talk a little bit about his coming. The Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior in such smallness and weakness and frailness. We ask, how can it be the eternal Son of God came into our world in such a humble and lowly way? But he did. Verse 10 says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The good news of the gospel includes not just the nation of Israel, but, but yes, all people. Remember the words of the aged Simeon as he held Jesus in his arms? Sovereign Lord, let now your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of our people, Israel. This good news is not only the message of his birth, but of his death and resurrection. The Bible says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He suffered for our sins. He paid the full price demanded, and he satisfied God's demands. He cried, finished. His glory was seen that dark night in Bethlehem, but it was also seen on the dark night of Calvary's sufferings. Not a visible outshining of light, but a clear revealing of God's nature. And what about that glorious morning on the third day when he broke the bands of death and became the mighty conqueror of all our foes? I'll close with a few words about his blessing. The highlighted words in verse 10 and 14 are joy and peace. Sin brings distress and unrest to our hearts and lives. It is devastating and has wrecked havoc on our human race. Maybe this Christmas season is not a time of happiness and blessing for you. Maybe there are circumstances that uh, have brought incredible pain or loss into your life. Maybe there is loneliness this year that has reached unbearable proportions. The outcome of Christ coming to Bethlehem and going to Calvary is that you can have and enjoy joy, lasting joy, and lasting peace regardless of your circumstance. It is a deep down joy. It is peace that surpasses understanding. The gospel doesn't overlook or sidestep your suffering and pain, but rather faces it head on and deals with it. Richard Wormbrand was put in jail for 14 years because of his faith in Jesus Christ, but experienced joy and peace even though he was tortured and, and had no possessions. Only God can do this. At the cross, the Lord Jesus experienced the pain of our sin in order that we might enjoy His presence and His glory. We have obtained this joy and peace on the grounds of faith 
and we must live in it on the same grounds. I genuinely hope that each one of you listening to this podcast will not only have a wonderful Christmas, but live in the fullness of what your salvation brings. Thank you for listening. May the glory of God be real to you today.